brother, how are you doing? Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. I can't complain. How are you? Yeah, it's been a good week. It's been a very good week. I think last week I was talking to you about how I just lost the will to execute, to do anything really. And sometimes you need those weeks. This week's been very different. I just had the drive and the energy uh, to, to, to do stuff. And it reminded me of that meme that you probably see online where the, the little white kid is going, you know, last time I didn't have time, but now, now I've got time. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I just felt like I had time to focus on a lot of, of the challenges and yeah, some big successes, some big successes at work. Uh, some big successes in my personal life. So, yeah, I, I just can't complain, man. How about you? A bit of the reverse in that I, I had one of those weeks where I thought, why? Um, <laughs> it's it's bizarre. I think the, the amount of time that we're having in lockdown is forcing me to reflect upon the kind of life I want to have. Yeah. Um, and whether what I'm actually doing fits in with that grand vision of the kind of life I want. So there were moments of just thinking how much time I'm, I'm fighting, trying to work more yeah. in the midst of having young children around when maybe what I shouldn't be doing is fighting them being around and, and just embracing them and embracing this time and saying, well, it'll get done, but just not now. We're never going to have a time like this again. Well, at least that's the mindset that I have at the moment. And you definitely don't want to regret the time that you have with your your kids at this young age because it's a blessing, especially as a working father, somebody who typically is out then doesn't necessarily get back home until quite late just before the kids go to bed. This is a blessing. Um, and I know you appreciate that, but at the same time, you're somebody who still wants to execute. So I guess the question is, how do you balance that need to execute, but also being present? And what is execution in this season? Because that's the question mm. I'm really thinking about. And I think that is very subjective. And for each person, it'll be something different. And it's it's almost a revision on what I saw execution to be previously in previous seasons. But I'm starting to believe now that execution for me is really ensuring, like what you said just last week, sorry, to ensure that work works around life and not that life works around work. Yeah, we've we've reached a different stage in our lives. I'm sounding like such an old man. What's happened to me? <laughs> um, but yeah, we've reached a different stage in our life now. You know, we're both thirty, which means we're old. We're old. No, and we forgive me. Forgive me. We're not old. We're not old. Apologies for anybody who's old, thirty plus. Yeah. You guys are not old. You're young. But definitely, where our twenties? We characterize our twenties as execution. This is the time where we were going to execute. We were going to build. And all of the statistics say that this is the that is the time period that you build. You're going to increase your salary um, by the most between the ages of 20 and 30, which was definitely true for me. I can't imagine yes. having a percentage increase in, in salary like what I had between the ages of 20 and 30 again in my life. I mean, I pray yeah. for it. <laughs> if it happens, yeah. please let it happen. But at the same time, you know, this was the period that I'm grateful that we grinded. But grinding needs to come to an end. And actually, no, I take that back. Grinding doesn't have to come to an end. But what you're grinding for needs to come to an end. 
because yeah, I I focused on this period as in, as as to set up the framework or the, the the foundation for a comfortable, secure family experience. Yes. And now the question is, how do I create a thriving, happy family experience? That is a postcard episode in itself. That is not today's episode. <laughs> no. We're going to make a note of it because we might have an expensive lessons episode on that in itself. I'm not qualified. <laughs> not qualified yet. <sighs> Good times. Guys, once again, welcome to Expensive Lessons, where company directors share their experiences in business, their honest experiences in business, which have often been expensive. Yeah, very and expensive. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you were not here as listeners, we would still be doing this, if we're being honest. However, you being here ensures that we have a responsibility to be truthful, to have integrity and to try to give as much as possible. Um, our hope is that there's someone listening to this who will actually put into action all that we're saying and to do it quicker than we did and to share their expensive lessons with another generation. And, and to that end, I just want to say for all of the people that have made the effort of getting in contact with me, either on a public forum or privately, just to say thank you for the podcast or to provide words of encouragement or just words of thanks for for what we've produced we really appreciate that everybody who's you know fed into this podcast one way or another we appreciate the energy that you've supplied to this because it's why we're doing it we we yes. believe that we have experiences that other people can benefit from and to hear that some of you have taken this information on board and executed or delivered or improved is I can't tell you how valuable that is. It's just humbling. It's incredibly humbling. And it just spurs me on to continue to add value, to provide my experiences, to be more vulnerable, to share more. So so thank you. And yeah, please keep it coming. Please share your experiences, share your questions. We really value thank it. Thank you all. And that's what we want to talk about today, actually. So there's a very special episode that we're engaging in today and we've called it expensive questions and what i'd like you to imagine is unfortunately we are currently on lockdown which means we're all in our separate houses but just imagine we're all in a room together a dimly lit room maybe with a a fire going and maybe we've got some snacks and some some hot drinks and we're all in the room together just having a chat and expensive questions isn't an, a space where you come to us for expertise and we decree the truth. It's a place where you've shared your thoughts with us and we just have a general conversation. So the sad part is that there's only going to be two people that are audible during this conversation. But we really appreciate the people that are fed into this. Um, and we'll be answering some people's questions a bit later on. But we also appreciate the conversation that might be created as a result of this discussion. So... Apologies in advance because this is not scripted. We have no idea what direction this conversation is going to go in. But once again, as I said in one of the first episodes, this is a conversation with my best friend and we're just recording it. So we're just going to delve in and have a few com a few uh, conversations about things that we care about and we'll answer some questions along the way. Awesome. So the first thing I want to say is... Happy birthday to 
your son. I don't know if we're naming Thank names. You. Are we naming names on a podcast? I don't mind. Um, Jeremiah is now three years old. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, it's, it's incredible because he's three years old. <laughs> um, like, when did he become three years old? When is he negotiating with me about everything? And it's, it's so interesting to see him because to go from quite a vulnerable baby to somebody who's now screaming to me in a WhatsApp video saying, thank you, uncle. It's amazing to, to just see, you know, it's, um, and once again, it ages you, makes you realize just how old yeah. you are. Um, but also it, it helps you appreciate what is possible with time. So as a three-year-old, he's a whole person with his own personality. I remember you mentioning to me that, you know, he's learned how to lie. Very well. <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's developed so much in such a short space of time. And I think what that makes me think about is how to ensure that that same time period, three years, isn't taken for granted for anything, whether it's my relationship, whether it's my my business, whether it's my career, so much can be done in three years that, you know, it's, it's interesting to see that in some sort of physical representation, like a, like a, a, a son. Which is still growing. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm sure within this podcast, I've shared the analogy that for me, all businesses are children and you, you birth a business, you, you birth an idea. And as that idea is in its infancy, you have to feed it daily. Um, and as it grows older, you might not necessarily have to be as hands-on as you were before, but the older it becomes, the more dangerous it becomes, and the hazards change. When it was one, the hazard was, is it going to eat something it's not meant to eat? When it's 15, the hazard is, is it going to steal your car and kill itself? Mm -hmm. um, he's three years old now, and it's making me really appreciate the importance of intentionality with everything with what i feed him with what i read to him with what he watches um, my wife and i were speaking the other day about how we intend when he's in the primary stage um for him not to watch television between monday and thursday now for some people that seems rather drastic <laughs> that's one of the the lighter plans for him <laughs> um but it's just to ensure that he's exposed to more Mm. That television doesn't become a point of call on a daily basis. So it's so indoctrinated into him that he has to turn it on every single day. Yeah. What could he do? Um, will he be in clubs? Will he go to scouts? Will he be playing with his magnets and creating these structures? Will he be reading a book? Will he be drawing? Will he be writing? Will he just be telling me about the boy who is trying to pick on him? What will he be doing? Yeah. And I think... You just have to be really intentional. That's what I'm learning. And that's what I'm trying to implement. So what would you say to somebody who hears that and says potentially two things? One is, oh, this guy's pretentious or this guy thinks he knows it all. You know, he's not better than me. My kids watch TV. They're fine. There's, there's that element. And then there's the other element, which is, oh, <laughs> you think it's easy, don't you? You think you can just turn off the TV and you're not going to get temper tantrums and, and can, a conniving child figuring out a way to get, get their own way. Wait till you find out. What is your general response when, when, if you were to hear that or if you were to, 
to maybe get some pushback against your approach? I think my response would be that we're all learning. And in the process of us learning, we're experimenting. So we're experimenting what works and what doesn't work. Many of the things that our children like is based on what we've exposed them to. So the question is, what have we exposed them to? And what haven't we exposed them to? For example, my son does watch their television. And I've exposed him to, um, if anyone goes into BBC iPlayer, there are a variety of different programs focused on a character called Andy. And it's Andy's prehistoric adventures, Andy's safari adventures, um, Andy's safari, etc., etc. He He loves anything to do with Animal Kingdom. Um, when he's not watching Andy and his adventures, he's watching Number Blocks, which is an animated series about these blocks, which are numbers, which are counting from 1 to 100. Now, he likes that a little bit, but it's not as good as Andy. Mm. But at least I know that I'm giving him a little bit of a variety, but even then, each element of that variety is almost sensor-checked. Can you prevent your kids from watching television? No. Should you prevent your kids from watching television? Definitely not. But we do have choices. Will they have tantrums? Most definitely. I've got a daughter who's one. And if I want 15 minutes, I will put her in front of baby club because she's fixated on watching other babies, which is very bizarre. (laughs) However, as they grow older, we want to maximize their options and not restrict them. If they only do one thing, that's restricting them. I want to put them into sports. I don't want them just to play football. Even though I adore football, I would love them to do track and field, swimming, rugby. I don't know what their interests or talent will be, but the more I expose them to different things, the more they will become just well-rounded. So much in what you just said that I want to talk about. First of all, baby club. I found that interesting, but not surprising. What I think it identifies is we are social animals from day one. We value socializing definitely from day one so if you put a baby in front of other babies they all all, it automatically resonates with them as something which is going to be engaging and i'd even maybe go a step further and i'd say yes our personalities can be socialized but it doesn't surprise me that your one-year-old daughter is the one looking at pic- uh, at videos and images of other babies because we know that women are more social than men. Um, and it, it's interesting yeah. because there have been studies about um, kind of human de- uh, uh, predisposition. And one of the things that was identified as a gender difference is that women are intrigued or interested in people and men are intrigued or interested objects. in objects, things. Um, and, you know, you can see that in the professions that get chosen on average, which is, you know, the, the, the people-centered roles in life, HR, psychology, medicine, um, are, are the ones where you see a large number of women, whereas the things that focus on things or objects engineering manufacturing etc those are the ones where men are uh, are dominating that space so i I find that really interesting um but not surprising uh sports 100 i think there's there's no way that i could raise children and not give them some sort of access to a sport 
because I think it provides you lessons that you're not necessarily going to learn academically. And one of the most important lessons to learn is you're not going to be fantastic at everything. Crucial. Absolutely critical. And you will fail. You will lose. But the beauty of that is that once you lose, it's not the end of the world. And competition, I think, is healthy. I think it's a really useful skill, a useful um, uh, trait to have, being competitive. Obviously not overly competitive, but I think having a healthy competitive streak helps people when it comes to drive. And, you know, we see that with the last dance and uh, Michael Jordan. Um, He's probably the, the far end of the spectrum took it too far mm-hmm. uh, but we can see how it benefits benefits you in terms of motivation um the final thing i want to say about what you said was around you know people learning to appreciate what you put them in front of so the fact that you have been selective about what jeremiah could view has an impact on, on what he likes and i mentioned on this podcast before books I really struggled as a young person to pick up a reading habit because I was never really taught to read for fun. I was never really taught to delve into a book and kind of expand my imagination. And it was only really till the Harry Potter series that everybody seemed to be into that I actually got involved. And it was probably Harry Potter 4, Goblet of Fire, where I was already in secondary school that I started really getting engaged in books. And that by that point, it's too late for it to be a natural yes. um, kind of proclivity. But from that point, I forced myself to love reading by just doing it on a regular basis, by identifying the types of books that would enthrall and engage me. And I would say it's, it would, it's never going to be as natural as as it would be if it was instilled in me at a young age, which is why now I've got seven nephews, uh, seven boys in my family. And whenever it's their birthday, they get a book. And it, it it can be any form of book. It can be a comic book. It can be a graphic novel. It can be an interactive book, but it's a book. Because I know the power of reading and... I know how important it is to try and instill that in young people at a young age. It's crucial. It, it reminds me of a horrible joke that my sister told me when I was young. And it's very relevant in this time period. Um, now, forgive her. This is a woman who is currently a solicitor, a model citizen. But she <laughs> told me this joke to provoke me. And it was that... <clears throat> Where do you think the safest place to hide something from a black man is? I had no idea. (laughs) She said in a book. And even at that young age, I may have been 12, it struck me. Did it strike me enough for me to start reading? No, because it was too (laughs) late. Um, I've I've got a master's in English education. I've, I've come from a background of reading according to my qualifications, but it's still not natural because I didn't have the experience that Jeremiah has. Um, he's three. He has more books than I had when I was 21. That, we, we have to be intentional. That is a, is a Chris Rock joke. I remember that. And um, you polished up the joke because it was a lot more crude than what you just said. 
Oh, and wow. uh, yeah, I, I love it. And it was, um, you know, he broke it down. He was talking about people love to be ignorant. Um, he talks about the fact that um, black, there's nothing more than that black people love than to not know the answer to your question. <laughs> hey, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Keeping it real. Real dumb. <laughs> Um, oh, God and us. yeah, you know what? It's it, it's it's interesting because I'd say that that conversation or that 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 comment is probably a lot more dated now. I don't think it is. It stands the test of time as much as it may be used to. But there's an element of truth to that that I appreciate. That I grew up definitely underplaying my intelligence or mm. underplaying my interest in multiple things and. As a result, maybe that was detrimental to me. And it highlights another thing I think which is interesting, which is I might become very irritated by my kids because they're going to be posh and I'm not posh. They're going to be middle class. They're going to have things that I didn't have. I was talking to my fiance earlier today. We were talking about whether either of us got picked on at school and... I definitely got picked on. I was the kid with the goaler trainers. Oh, that, the goaler trainers. I was the kid with the goalers. Classic. I and, love you. And boys are hell. You know what? I miss secondary school so much because I, I went to an all boys school and we the were banter. just, the banter was too much. It was just so much. Like nothing was off limits. <laughs> but all you, you can just look back at it and appreciate. There was one guy, I won't mention his name. He's in jail now. But, he this is this was we were in year seven and to be honest the writing was already on the wall back then um but he was in year seven and he used to come up to me he's like bro you know i really want to where'd you get your trainers from can i get them from Foot Locker? and i'm like no you can't he's like oh probably jd then and i'm like no no so like, where'd you get them from and i was like i think my mom got them from the market and it's like where's that the market is that a store is that a... and he was he was proper like trying to embarrass yeah. me as a result but the fact that at 11 years old he had the the, the level of sarcasm just to banter me in front of the whole class mm-hmm. about my goal of trainers you have to appreciate it in hindsight if he yeah. applied that that insight to his english homework <laughs> it'd be very different it'd be a very different story uh, modeling <laughs> but but yeah it's you know when when i look back at that that period of me being quote unquote bullied you know these are the types of things that make you stronger it is character building now this is not to say that bullying is a necessary experience during life however mm. one of the benefits of having a rougher experience is that it exposes you to what could happen will happen in the real world and enables you to make a choice at an early age as to where you stand will you be the person who perpetuates the bullying and waits until you can then bully someone else or will you develop a moral viewpoint that actually that's wrong and that shouldn't happen so so with that i think we're talking about kind of what what makes somebody strong and some of these characteristics are developed over time so because of your upbringing because of the challenging start you had in life 
you might have developed skills which had made you perfect for the battlefield. What One question which has come through was around the characteristics of a high-performing individual. So one okay. of the questions I want to discuss with you is, what are the top three characteristics or skills of a high-performing individual? It's interesting because I think my answer to that question has changed over time and potentially will continue to change over time. Mm. Um, I think if I was to whittle it down to three, it would be the ability to problem solve, i.e. strategy, yeah. resilience, i.e. determination, and then vision. I think those three, amongst the many attributes, would be my three top skills for a high-performing individual. They need to be able to problem solve. They need to be able to troubleshoot. They need to be able to enter into a situation and just pause and think hard. Um, they need to be able to study history and maybe adjacent environments to identify solutions and then potentially take on challenges from that point onwards. I really think that problem solving is crucial alongside the resilience to actually see it through and the vision to see something which doesn't already exist in the present. Mm. So I'm thinking, I completely agree, problem solving, that one hit me. Resilience, absolutely. In, I'm not sure about vision. So I, I agree that it's important, but the one that's sticking in my head that I can't get rid of is empathy. I think a high-performing individual needs empathy. And I don't know where I put that on a scale, but I think we have things wrong in certain corners of the world. Sometimes we look at billionaires and millionaires and assume that in order for them to get to where they've got, they were absolutely cutthroat and they stepped on everybody they could in order to get into the position that that they are now. And just looking at my own personal experience, the people who believe that and the people who act on that belief hit the ground very hard because in order to get to the top, people have to like you. Yes. And you need to be a sociable person, someone with high emotional intelligence. Yes, the odd person here and there slips through the net. Um, I, I think the president of the United States might be one of those individuals. Um, but I, I think in general, if I look at some of the successful people that I admire in the working world, in society, even in terms of pop culture, one of their key strengths is the ability to empathize. And maybe it's blue sky thinking, maybe it's me being quite optimistic, but I also want that to be something which is also important. I want the empathetic person to win. I don't like the the narrative that we see in the world at the moment, which is nice guys finish last. And I also don't think it's true. It's not. Um, the more you spoke, the more you convinced me that it's essential. It's definitely a want. It was, it's definitely on my list of things I would want a high-performing individual to have. Mm. I started to question, is it an attribute which is necessary for one? And I don't know if it is. However, I do agree that that emotional intelligence will enable you to work with people. And often 
people think they don't have to work with others, but you do. Um, irrespective of how great you are, you are going to have to work with others. You're going to have to inspire, to lead, to motivate, to influence other people. I'm trying to remember who it was. I, I think was it. I don't know if it was Carnegie. Um, I think it was in uh, Think and Grow Rich. He okay. quoted someone, and it wasn't Henry Ford, um, who mentioned that the person he pays the most in his organization is the person who most people listen to. Mm. Now, that in itself suggests that that person is a people person. So he's not paying the highest figure to the most technical or the most knowledgeable, but it's the person who can actually get the most amount of people to do what they want. Now, if we soak that in, it shouldn't be the reason we're nice and empathetic, but it should highlight why empathy and emotional intelligence is just crucial to success. Agreed. And if it's not top three, it's definitely up there. I watched the Steve Jobs documentary or one of the Steve documentaries um, a couple of weeks ago. And it was interesting how in a design workshop, we have to take it with a pinch of salt, I guess, because, you know, everything's dramatized for, for, for television. But in a design workshop, Steve Jobs was one of the only people who was advocating for the customer. There were engineers talking about technology specs and um, dimensions. There were marketers talking about costing and pricing. But Steve Jobs was the one who kept coming back to, I want to deliver the best product for the customer. The customer doesn't care about this. The customer doesn't care about that. All the customer cares about is, do I have a tool which allows me to address my wants, which has nothing to do with the technology? He had to do a rewrite of one of his earlier models. I think it was the Lisa model, like a a, a redesign of it, because it didn't offer the customer font options. And he was he, he was adamant that a client using this tool would want to change the font to something that they were more comfortable with. So having somebody almost as the advocate for the client, advocate for the customer, advocate for their stakeholders, I think is extremely powerful and an extremely important skill. You know, when we look at people like politicians, etc., they are elected on the premise that their voice speaks for thousands and in some case millions because they are relatable but they also understand so i do think it's important i think empathy is a very powerful skill to have and i think people who have empathy win do you know what? i would definitely add that to the list if it was the top three skills of a leader mm. i agree with everything that both of both us have said but I think the reason why I'm reluctant to add it into the top three so far is that I do believe that there are high-performing individuals who are still soloists. Very true. And yeah, maybe yeah. within their field, that's a positive. But I think what we're both leaning towards is actually that high-performing individual who is a leader, who is leading people. Yeah, you've sold me. I'm sold. Um, 
Problem solving as a soloist is absolutely key. Resilience as a high performing individual is absolutely key. Now, vision. Yeah. Now, the reason I say that is because I have in my head now some very effective, high performing accountants and some very effective, high performing finance directors who don't no, necessarily right. who don't necessarily vision have to leadership mm. i scratch off <laughs> i think when conducting my list i also was thinking about leadership on and instances and i think if this is just about the high performing individual vision wouldn't be there because it's, it's, it's you're looking at a soloist so so let me throw something in the ring then and correct me we, we can throw this out if you want how important is routine for somebody who is oh. high performing? Oh, 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 oh. I'm slightly envious I didn't mention it myself. We are our habits. Mm. That might be, because I thought problem solving would be number one. Um, that's very close to number one. The high performing individual is almost robotic by nature. They've got to that point where they have rid themselves of all which is human and deficient. <laughs> You've got people the, listening to this going, I don't want to be high performing. <laughs> i.e. the distractions. Absolutely. This is not positive, i.e. the family, i.e. social relationships. That They're solely tunnel vision. And if you can create great habits... There are so many quotes about how your habits will work for you. They will ensure that you are successful. We are all creatures of habit. We all have habits. They're just either positive or negative. But the high-performing individual has constructed habits to work for their end goal. And they, they do. They definitely are planners. And they plan everything. And this isn't necessarily a, a positive quality in every instance, but I'll give you an example. I did a uh, personality test uh, a couple of years ago. It was uh, Myers-Briggs. And it turns out I am an ENTJ. And I'm not going to go into what that means, but the, the, the letters all relate to a specific characteristic. And the J relates to somebody who is judging a judging person and when i heard that i was a j for judging i was like i didn't, didn't think i was a very judgmental person um but that's not what the j means it actually refers to somebody who makes judgments based on priorities and values and there was an easy way of testing the difference between somebody who was a j versus the counter um the, the counter personality trait, which is P for perceiving. Um, a J person has their day planned out and has structure to their day, where a P person, someone who's perceiving, tends to almost go with the flow, see where the day takes them. Now, I'm not saying one is better than the other because both of them have their, their um, qualities. But the judging person as a result of them being very structured, is often able to get more 
efficiency, more productivity out of the day. And I was still on the fence about whether I was a J or a P because I was like, well, I'm able to go with the flow sometimes. I may, I can, I can have fun. And the the person doing the test asked me one simple question. They said, when do you have fun? And I said, okay, well, in my diary, I've got a section blocked out <laughs> on Friday evening for me to have some fun with my fiance. They were like, so you're telling me that you prescribe fun? I said, yes, you're a J, sit down. Um, and it's as simple as that. If you think you're somebody who goes with the flow because you plan your free time, then you are a very structured individual. And it's not a negative. Um, it just means that you need to prioritize when you are relaxing the, the, the idea that you can let go. Now, the, one of the key negatives for somebody who's a judging individual is you're going to also be more prone to burnout because your, yes. your time has to be productive. It has to be filled. Whereas people who are perceiving tend to have better mental health. Not always, but they are better at being able to acknowledge the, their environment and their, their condition and respond accordingly. If I was sick, for instance, that wouldn't stop me closing out all the actions on my to-do list. Whereas somebody who <laughs> was maybe a bit more well-adjusted would go, well, I'm sick today, so I've got an excuse not to go as hard. So it was, a, it was a tangent there, but I do think that high-performing people are the individuals who are regimented and they have to be. Yes. You have schedules. It's a valuable skill for all people. Um, and it's something which I think can be acquired in certain environments. So I remember doing some reading about uh, Fortune 500 CEOs and identifying that many of them were in the scouts when they were younger. You were in the scouts and army cadets, and I thought, okay, that's a tick for my child. Sorry, Jeremiah, whether you like it or not, you're going to the scouts, mate. Um, you took you that... took the words out of my mouth. Uh, it's, it's it's crazy. I was just gonna say, proof that anybody can learn to be a judging individual or to hold on some of, on or to take on some of those skills is the army. Because they will take people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all different personality types, all genders, and turn them into somebody who is a regimented, structured individual, which shows you that anybody can do it. Yes. There's value to it. There's also value to potentially doing a Myers-Briggs assessment before you get married. Um, because it will reveal who you really are and who your spouse is, and potentially avoid a few disagreements over certain things yeah. i.e when my spouse wants me to do something she'll just tell me okay can you please do this my response is okay i'm currently doing this i will do that at, at x time um and she finds that a bit strange that i'm scheduling when to do it now even the words coming out of my mouth seem very normal that yes i'll schedule when i'll do it but for some people it's like why don't you just do it now I'm like you need it now no now it's for. I don't know if I'm a weirdo for doing this, but me and my fiance have already done a personality test to see what type of people we are. Um, and in actual fact, me and you went through the same personality test that I did with my fiance, which was okay. uh, called a discovery insights test, which identifies you in the form of colors. So you could either uh, be yeah. a, red, blue. a red, a yellow, a green, or a blue. Now I'm a red which means 
um, as at a very high level, I think out loud. If you're going to communicate with me, communicate with me in person. We'll have a conversation or we'll meet in person. And also, um, if you need to tell me bits of information, I want the bullet points. I don't want a novel. Yes. Um, whereas my fiance is a blue, which means that she's very analytical, very introspective, very thoughtful. Um, she thinks inside. So if you're in a loud room where loads of people are screaming and shouting, she'll be the person who has loads of good ideas, but never says anything. She needs, mm -hmm. she needs to be asked to share her insight simply because she never necessarily thinks her ideas are great. So we all probably have those people in our life who are actually quite quiet, but when you actually get them to talk, they, they share with you loads of gems. Um, but the other thing about her is that if you're going to communicate a complex idea to her, you better communicate it in writing. And on paper, that makes me and her very different. <laughs> um, it, it's not exactly polar opposite because there are a lot, there's a lot of overlap between uh, blue yes. and red. red. But we have different communication pre preferences. We've got different thinking styles. And we're also very different in terms of the way that we gather energy. I'm an extrovert based on this and she'd be a, an introvert which means that when we are engaging with each other, we need to take all of that information into account. But on top of that, you know, away from the relationship side of things, in the workplace, the people who have a good grasp of the different personality types are the ones who get the most out of their team. If you understand that one of your team members um, works better when you communicate with them in person then you pick up the phone and you speak to that person over the phone whereas the other member of your team member uh, of, of your team is a lot more introverted then you send them a detailed email and give them time to digest that information and respond and it links back to the, the empathy nonsense. sorry go ahead you're right and it back to empathy which i think was the yellow who were really empathetic. Absolutely, were they yeah. Was it the green which was empathetic? Uh, for those people who think it's a load of nonsense, I remember when we did this, we did this in quite a large room um, with quite a few number of people. And when we, everyone split into their, their, their faction, it was very clear that actually people were in the right areas. You could see the personalities standing side by side and like, yeah, you're in the right group. Um, I remember Mike Williams, who was on the podcast last week, he was a red-blue. So you can be a mixture of two. Yeah. Um, but there are some which you, that don't necessarily mix. Yeah, so it's very... So a green, for instance, is somebody who is super empathetic, somebody whose main focus and goal is external and other people. So greens tend to be people who work in very caring professions, they ask a lot of questions about how other people are. How are you? How are you feeling? They're very uh, social and very concerned about the, the well-being of people around them. Now, a, the green person is the polar opposite to the red, which makes me sound like a horrible individual. Um, but the, the way it works is that our communication styles, the way that we operate, our operating system is virtually polar opposite. It doesn't necessarily mean that just because you're a red, you're a psychopath. But interestingly enough, one of my best friends is a green. 
and we get on like a house on fire. We don't always. We have some really heated discussions from time to time. But yeah, it's interesting to see how different personality types can even mesh very well together because maybe you're providing something that they don't have and vice versa. I mean, underpinning all of it is self-reflection and critical reflection. If each individual can be critically reflective about themselves, they will be able to exude their strengths, identify their weaknesses, and plug those gaps with the people who will exhibit that strength that they don't have. So I think it's, it's definitely worthwhile doing one of those assessments just to work out, okay, who are you really in terms of personality? And that, that nicely leads us on to another question that we got, which is, um, do you think it's important to hire people better than you? In, in what position? Mm. Um, it really depends on the position that you're, you're hiring them for. If we're focusing on... So previously we spoke about a startup um, going out for their first recruit. And we gave them the option. You can either get a runner, a, a pawn on the front line, just to do the, the dirty work, which allow you to go into the back end and be more blue side thinking and start to strategize or you can recruit a, a deep thinker a, a consultant a fellow director or partner so it really depends on who you're hiring i think if i was to answer the question focusing on a partner i would see that individual and assess them like a business in terms of what is their value proposition do they add value other than moral support? Mm. Because if they're only adding moral support, maybe that's the role that they should be playing um, and they shouldn't be your business partner. Um, will they be a director, an affiliate, a contractor, an employee? Because there are different roles for them to potentially be as opposed to just being a partner. And I think you have to really assess the value that they are bringing and really you want that value to be value which you are not necessarily bringing at that current moment in time so that it's a right fit for a director um, and I would almost suggest that if you're having the question as to whether they would be a good partner or not they're probably not but mm. the following question is where could they fit they don't have to be a partner could they be a contractor really almost do a SWOT analysis of their skills what is their value proposition it's interesting. I think I, I think I disagree. I don't. I, I see it differently. To that question, I I would say if you can afford them, and if it's a very transparent transaction, absolutely get somebody on. And the reason I would say this is because not everybody is interested in being an entrepreneur, but they may be very good number twos. So. If somebody has all of the skill sets that you want in spades and doesn't want to take any of the risk, would it be good to have someone like that on your team? I'd say absolutely. Definitely. And I think about it when I think about somebody like, because I guess the question is very open-ended, but if I think about somebody like an accountant or we've mentioned finance directors in the past or even somebody who's very good engineer, 
they may not want to be the face of a company, but in terms of doing some of the technical work that's done, that that's needed, they may be a million times better than me. And when it comes to finances, for instance, or even if it comes to maybe a more broader concept of maybe they're just better than me at business. Would I want them in my team? As long as there's a very uh, um, clear transaction, as long as it's transparent in nature, I'd absolutely have them on side. And as long as they are happy and not feeling hard done by, by by the deal, then I'd keep them on and draw as much experience as I can from them as possible. So we're agreeing then that if they are bringing value, then you recruit them. Mm. And not merely recruiting them because they're available. Definitely not. And that was one of the lessons that you shared a couple of episodes back. Don't just recruit someone because they're available, but if they have value to offer. You're absolutely right, yeah. Mm. And it's it's interesting because I think that would be my message of encouragement to anybody listening to this, which is you may not be an entrepreneur. If you're listening to this, you are listening because you probably are delving into the realms of entrepreneurship and business and want to see if it's for you. You may not be an entrepreneur. There are a lot of things that entrepreneurs do that may be scary unnecessary alien to you they take risks they talk in pictures they share visions you know they talk about the intangible concepts which you don't want any part in you don't want to take risks but you are an expert engineer or an expert accountant or you're an expert financial director or an expert hr uh, psychologist whatever it might be And maybe you want to be part of that journey. Maybe you see an entrepreneur and you see an entrepreneur who continues to fail because their recruitment strategy is 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 out of whack or because they don't know how to balance the books at the end of the month. You don't have to be an entrepreneur who takes on the whole piece of the pie. You can apply your skills to specific areas of, of entrepreneurship and either be a consultant for many entrepreneurs or work with somebody who you respect and help fill in their gaps. Those individuals are crucial and often never spoken of. I listened to you speak. It took me back to the Madam CJ Walker, almost dramatized documentary. Um, She was celebrated as the first female or first African-American, first black African-American billionaire or millionaire. Um, when you study her life, you realise that it was the lawyer, not her husband, not even her own talent for the industry and sales, but it was the lawyer that she recruited, who at the time wasn't practising law, who really propelled her business, who gave her the structure to actually build a real business and not a hustle. And it was interesting to know that he wasn't doing great however he saw what she had and saw where it could go sometimes you need individuals like that we spoke about steve jobs previously and people often ignore steve wozniak forgive me for butchering his surname many people in the tech environment almost idolize him and not steve jobs because he was almost real the real guru behind it all 
However, he wasn't the face of it. He wasn't the visionary. He was just a tech guy. But we all need a tech guy. Are you willing to be Robin? Steve didn't do much coding. Steve didn't actually build the technology that we associate with him. It's a lot of no-name engineers who did the crafting and he did the effective branding behind it. And I, I almost say no name as a pejorative, but it's absolutely not because there are many people who do not want the spotlight. And yeah. I think the thing that I liked about Steve Wozniak is he didn't want the spotlight. He was very happy. He did a job that he loved, which was uh, engineering and coding. That was his job. He loved it. He did it with one of his best friends. And he actually left Apple so that he could continue engineering and coding. And if that sounds like you, if you are passionate about what you do for a living, whatever it might be, then the question that maybe you should ask yourself is, how does this play into somebody's startup vision? So, I mean, if I pull it back to the original question, is it important to hire people better than you? Absolutely. But as Afalabi very eloquently uh, describes, there has to be a value proposition behind their, their role. Just because they're smart, intelligent, maybe more capable, doesn't mean that they'll be a good fit for your brand. But if you can see how this individual can take on a project within your business and help transform your business, I'd say absolutely. And like I, you mentioned, there'll be sorry, people who are listening to this. Like you mentioned, there'll be people who are listening to this who might fit that role, who might be Steve Wozniak's, who mm. might be Robin's. Robin needs to be put on a pedestal. Um, find someone to serve. Find someone that you believe in. Find a business or brand that you believe in and serve that business, serve that brand. And you'll be surprised what could happen. Absolutely. And sometimes this is on a short-term basis. You can identify a problem in somebody's business and solve that for that individual. But then identify that that problem is something that multiple people are experiencing. And all of a sudden, by being a number two in one environment, you've now become a number one in another environment where you've got yes. a business which is around solving other businesses' problems. So I hope that answered the question that we got. This is good. I'm, I'm interested. What else do we get in? So we got another question around... Which one should I answer? So we... Okay, I'll, I'll give you two. And you can tell me which one you want to answer most. How do you build emotional resilience to help you bounce back from an expensive lesson? And how do you attack an overwhelming list of things you don't want to do, but must? Which one do you want to answer? Um, maybe the former. So how to bounce back, how to bounce back from an expensive lesson. Um, firstly, well done. Mm. <laughs> well well done. done. Well done for having an expensive lesson. Um, Abby and I were speaking, I think it was last week, and I'd actually underestimated how large the last expensive lesson was um, in terms of what we lost and it was almost like a badge of honor like we lost that amount <laughs> and we're still standing <laughs> glory to god <laughs> um okay all seriousness how, how do you bounce back from an expensive lesson i, I think the first step is to, to review your mindset on failure 
because you, you've identified that you failed, you're feeling that right now. Um, review that mindset on failure. Um, based upon your experience, was your actual mindset of failure accurate? So, so now you've identified that you have failed, okay, how do you think about failure? How, how bad is it, really? Logically, what has it actually led to? Um, what have you lost specifically? Um, there's this old adage that for every win there's a loss. So what did you actually lose? And I think once you're able to quantify that, you're able to see where you are and then enter the realm of tacit knowledge, of applying those lessons somewhere else. And then almost like on, the, on a spiritual sense, there's a, there's a scripture about um, God giveth, God taketh, God taketh away, blessed be the name of God. And the idea that actually, what does it mean to lose spiritually and philosophically? What did you actually lose? Well, we joked about what Abby and I lost, but we're still standing. What did we actually lose? Did it matter that much? So review your mindset on failure so that you can identify the gems within that failure to move forward and to just raise your, your mindset as to where you currently are. Um, critically reflect on how and why you failed and then definitely go again, physically, if possible, based upon all of that. So review your mindset on failure, reflect on why you failed and then go again because that failure was important if you use it. If you don't use it, then it's probably just a nail in your coffin and you're going to live with it for the rest of your life. But if you do use it, it is the seed to fertilise the next venture. Nature's amazing. So, Abby, thank you very much for the encyclopedia you bought for Jeremiah. Jeremiah and I were reading it today and it was speaking about leaves and it was just teaching us how leaves, when they die, it was bizarre because it started off how leaves feed plants. I was like, that's not accurate. Who wrote this? But they continue to explain how but when they decompose into the ground, they release nutrients. And I think it's a beautiful metaphor for failure. That failure, if you reflect upon it, will release nutrients to grow something new. It is never wasted. However, we as human beings waste failure. Gems. Where do I, where do I even begin with that? Um, I want to talk about your mindset point. So you talked about address your mindset to failure. And I want to talk about the sunk cost fallacy, which a lot of people suffer from, including myself, mm. which is if I've spent a thousand pounds on projects, or if I've spent 10 hours on a concept then that has to bear fruit. And as a result of me spending 10 hours on that project, it's actually worthwhile if it hasn't created anything productive to spend another 10 hours or to spend another thousand pounds on that, that, that concept. Now I'm 2000 pounds in or 20 hours in, but if it still doesn't bear fruit because I've put all of that time and effort in, well, I guess another five hours, another 500 pounds can't hurt because I need to get something out. And th the fallacy is that just because you've put something in doesn't, well, the, the fallacy is that if I put something in, I should be getting something out. The truth is that 
God didn't promise you anything. You put something in. It's not guaranteed that you're going to get something out. And for you, if you put something in, you need to appreciate at which point is it okay for me to cut my losses. And that term cut my losses, I think, orig- well, it's probably not originally, but the, the, way, the place I know it from is gambling. And how do people get in trouble with gambling? How do people end up with habits or end up thousands or hundreds of thousands of pounds in debt with gambling? It's because they are consumed by the sunk cost fallacy. If I have put 20,000 pounds on red and it ends up on black, then I can't walk away from the table because I've invested 20,000 pounds in it. But right now you're about to spin that uh, roulette again the roulette wheel doesn't owe you anything. The roulette isn't looking at isn't looking at Jerome and going, well, he did put £20,000 on the last roll. So maybe... I, no, the roulette wheel goes, let's see what happens. So the reason why I, I share that long-winded example is because I really want to encourage people to step away from the sunk cost fallacy in any element of their life. Whether it be your relationship, you're in a relationship that you don't want to be in, but you've been in it for four years. So you're like, well, you know, I can't walk away now. I've invested four years of my life. Walk away. Uh If you're in a project and you've been working on that project for six years of your life and it hasn't created anything from you, walk away and see it as a victory. Because in that relationship that you're stuck in, imagine spending another four years in a fruitless relationship. Imagine spending another six years on a project that isn't creating anything. And that's still, that's why in one instance, admitting failure is difficult. But in the other instance, admitting failure in this particular area is actually a victory. Because you could say, I've just saved myself another four years of hurt. I've just saved myself another thousand pounds of investment that was going to go nowhere. Definitely. So I think that mindset piece is really important. And... It links into my next point, which is if you are going to fail, you should fail fast. And I don't mean do not commit. Just not and, and And that's the balance, really, because there's an element between you're not getting what you want and therefore you walk away. Don't do that. But what you should be doing, you should have criteria. Afalabi mentioned um, in uh, the episode a couple of weeks ago about having success criteria. Are you measuring your performance against any success criteria whatsoever? It's so important. And once you actually measure your progress against those success criteria, is it doing what you were expecting it to do? What is the minimum return on investment that you need in order to continue on with this journey? What is the minimum commitment from your potential future partner that you need to know that this is this relationship is going somewhere because if you're not seeing any of those success criteria met then the question that you should ask yourself is should i move on and start another project i feel like i'm oprah oprah winfrey or like uh, it's it's powerful right now (laughs) i I just don't want to cry um it is really powerful just thinking about the question again i almost feel like it it comes from a place of pain Mm. um and that is, it's okay. We're, we're, we're definitely saying fail fast. We're definitely yeah. saying reflect upon your failure. Um, we're definitely saying, well, cut your losses. But acknowledge it hurt. I, I, you don't have to downplay that. 
when when we and when, then move sorry. on. Sorry, go and say again. No, yeah, I acknowledge you hurt. Acknowledge the pain, um, but then feel the pain and carry on. Hundred percent. Because if you don't carry on, then that pain is immortalized with you forever. That is the last memory. And that's also what makes you respectable, though the the moving on piece, because everybody fails. But the people who continue to, to, to progress in the face of failure are the ones who we respect. And yes. often we don't even remember the failures of the successful people. Nobody no, really talks don't. about Michael Jordan's kind of rocky uh, high school years where he wasn't the best player. Nobody talks about Cristiano Ronaldo before he ended up at Manchester United. Mm. and that's because as long as you play the game you still have a chance of winning now now how does that lesson tie in with the idea of you need to walk away from the roulette table (laughs) it does it does Um, you mentioned that balancing act because we, we, we promote failing fast. But as you said, if, if you don't have the success criteria for both the endeavor, but also the exit strategy, then you're just going to continue playing. If you are going to gamble, what is your quota? Mm. Not, is your, what, not what is your quota for when you lose money, but what is your quota in general? When do you run out of money? When does your runway end? And when your runway ends, what is your plan at that point? I... I Startup, you've got investment from friends, family, falls. You've worked out with your cost model that you have a 24 month runway. Once that 24 month runway um, hits, if you are not profitable, what do you do? Mm. Now, that's a question which you should be answering in month one. Don't get to month 24 because your emotions and everyone's voices is going to be directing you to make a decision which isn't well thought out one thing to add is about wisdom a point about wisdom and there's a reason why you said to the questioner well done when they asked you that question why why did you say well done several reasons first they stepped into the arena I'm, I'm full of imagery. I believe that we all have to step into the arena. And unfortunately, the vast majority of us are not. There are things we want to do, but we are not even watching off on the sidelines. We're not even like watching on a television set. We're not even involved at all. They've stepped into the arena and they've taken a chance. They threw their shot. They missed. They lost. Great. But you stepped in. So you know how to step in again. What was wrong? Is it that Harking back to previous episodes, you didn't outmuscle. Is it that you didn't outmaneuver? Is it that you didn't outsmart, outlast the opposition? What didn't you do effectively? That knowledge is actually invaluable to someone who's currently in the game right now, about to start. If you went in again in an adjacent industry, in a different market, or even in the same, what do you now know that you didn't when you first stepped into that arena? You've got muscles now. You went in as a scrawny kid and they threw you back out. Sorry. But you can go again. 
that's why I said well done. Hundred percent. We we only respect people who can share the value wisdom of their experience, mm. and you only get that experience. The richness of that experience comes from living a, a varied life, and that life must include failure. There isn't a mentor, expert, teacher that I know that doesn't have an impressive failure story. So the, the, the reason I mention that is because every failure should be a medal. It should be a reason why you should listen to me. Because I did this and failed. But now I'm succeeding. I think that's the other caveat. Because if you all you did was fail your whole life, then maybe there's a, there's a problem. <laughs> but if you failed... And you were able to bounce back, learn from it, and find yourself in a strong, stronger position after failure. Then there's richness in your experience. There's wisdom to what it is you're saying, and then that means there's value to other people who are starting a journey at a later date. And I think the other point to mention is when it comes to bouncing back from failure is Steve Jobs. We've mentioned Steve Jobs a few times. He got sacked from Apple. He got sacked from the, from the company so he started. So painful. Imagine that. Imagine you get sacked from the company that you built. I might kill. I know this is on record and I know this goes out to, 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 to the public, but I might actually kill. What do you mean you're going to sack me from my company? Sorry. I'm coming in the next week with a hoodie, I'm blacked out, fully blacked out, balaclava, <laughs> I've got a dog named Pedro, I'm taking monitors, I'm taking everything. <laughs> what? My own company? No. Nah. But yeah, this 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 is a, a real lesson that he had to learn. And for me, failure is painful, but failure is a learning opportunity. The reason why this episode is called Expensive Lessons is because the only reason where we can share information with you is because we failed a lot yep so i would say the sooner that you fail the sooner you can start your own podcast the great thing is i don't, I don't think people realize that the beautiful position you're in once you have failed because we are able to look at companies and we can tell <laughs> the point that they're going to fail yeah now it sounds horrible like we're predicting doom we're not predicting doom We've just been there before. We can see what they're not doing. Now, if you're in that position, you're now invaluable to so many people. Because you have that knowledge. You've been there when they haven't. If I was to share it in a different way, I would maybe mention one of, one of your favourite quotes, which is, I didn't know, I didn't know. And Wonderful. I'll, I'll relate it back to something that we can all appreciate, which is relationships. Now, I know from looking at the analytics that the average person who's listening to this podcast is um, in their late 20s and it's actually predominantly female. So for my grown women listening to this, you have probably been through experiences in relationships, which means that when you see a teenage girl sat at the back of the bus with uh, MC Knifeman. 
Also you, known as Jerome. Also known as Jerome. And he's uh he plays drums in the church. Um you know where that's gonna go. And likelihood is is that you know where that's gonna go because you had your own gunshot king <laughs> tiny stabber <laughs> that you were dealing with. But as a res- as a result of your failure, you are now in a position of wisdom. But not only are you in a position of wisdom to help your younger sisters, you're also in a position of wisdom to help yourself. And you will look at certain criteria and go, I'm not going to find myself in that position again. And But you didn't know that you didn't know. You didn't know that Gunshot King was going to end up taking money out of your mum's purse. And only now that you're older do you appreciate the signs that indicate where that relationship was inevitably going to go. So the more lessons you learn, relationship-wise, the better you should be at choosing a, a partner some point at some point down the line. And that's exactly the same for business. The more lessons you learn in your business, the better you should be at making plans for the future. The amount of expensive lessons I've learned about tax and the amount of... <laughs> The amount of lessons we're still learning about tax. So I'm I'm not necessarily looking forward to failures, but I know that I'm further away from failure after the painful lessons that I've experienced. Yes. So yeah, I just see it as an expensive lesson. And it's also going to be a lesson that one day I'm going to charge quite a lot of money to share with someone. So you guys are getting it for free. You guys are getting Love it for free. But yeah, I, I, I'd say... Well done, as Afalabi said, because learning these painful lessons is vital, it's valuable, and it also positions you for success in the future. Bro, we've done it. We've done an hour, and it went lightning fast, as it always does. Oh, I enjoyed that. It went by too quickly. Anything else to, to share with the people? Any, any final thoughts? I'm just I'm trying to review the questions that we've had to see if there's a, a theme. So we've we've talked about recruitment, we've talked about failure, um, but characteristics. I think one theme that I'm seeing is the, the do it now once again. It's, it's going back to the do it now podcast. Now, the people who've sent these questions, they've done it, which is great. What I'll say to them is do it again. And keep on doing do it now isn't a one-off event and i think the, the misconception that we can have is that once you do it it will blossom and that will just be it however unfortunately we are not ordained to blossom um in that business venture by default there are several lessons that we're going to have to learn along the way there are many occasions where we might be on the brink but if we are critically reflective, if we continue to ask good questions, if we continue to seek points of information and knowledge, podcasts, books, we can ensure that we stay afloat and just, just stay in there, stay in the arena. And if you are strategic enough, your opening will come and that spot will open. But well done for doing it now. Keep on doing it. Keep on asking questions. This has been another episode of Expensive Lessons where company directors share with you the fruits of their failures 
the fruits of their experiences and we just hope that you you gain some insight from it that you've gained uh, some humorous moments from it and that you join us next week for another episode quick plug about next week because i'm excited i'm excited about every episode but next week we're interviewing someone who's a serial entrepreneur which sounds evil um but it's, it's, it's a good thing that this is an individual who has built businesses who have broken into the industries done really well um, on multiple occasions a female young i am curious to hear whether there is a entrepreneurial gene because on the most part i don't believe that i think it can all be learned however there are some people who, who seem to do it now more than others and i'm curious as to why so definitely tune in next week to to learn alongside me as to how and why she does it can't wait really looking forward to it guys we love you all thank you so much peace take care